It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. The pitch, a swing and a drive, deep left field. Welcome to the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron. That ball is hit hard and deep to left field, backing to the track, to the wall, and it's gone! It's a grand slam! Now, Matt Pauley, Mike Claiborne, and the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron. Wainwright picks out the sign. The pitch is swung on a miss, throw to second base, strike him out, throw him out, double play. On the Cardinals Radio Network. We do welcome in to Amron Countdown to Opening Day across the Cardinals Radio Network. We come your way from Jupiter, Florida, alongside of Mike Claiborne. My name is Matt Pauley. Just a couple weeks out from the Cardinals getting the regular season underway. Spring training continuing on. And Claibs, we've seen a lot more good things than bad things from the Cardinals so far here in spring. Well, you're absolutely right. And we had a good start to the week. Uh, Cardinals took on the Houston Astros on Monday. And we were hoping to see something from Jack Flaherty, and we got just what we were hoping for. He was flawless. He gave up one hit. It was a home run, five strikeouts along the way. And another guy who's going to have an impact on this ball club is Steven Matz, the left-hander, who was equally good. He didn't give up a home run, but he didn't have a ball leave the infield, not even a foul ball. And uh, they have something now they can build on. Dylan Carlson with a home run on Monday as well. So a lot of good things to build on going into another week of spring training. There are a number of questions to um, that, we, that we wanted answered coming into spring training. None of them are answered yet because it's still a, a somewhat small sample size. But at the same time, I do think what we saw from Jack Flaherty was notable. That's a really good first step. And it kind of came on the heels of he had two starts pushed back because of a groin issue and because of flu-like symptoms. So you didn't really know what you were going to get from him. So that's a really good first step. It was a real good first step. Can you imagine, Matt, if that outing would have gone the other direction and the, the concern and the scrutiny that was taking place and the fact Stephen Matz, who was injured last year, we didn't know what to expect from him. I just think you just have to build on it. And again, first outing, it's spring training. But I think the other side of that coin would have been something none of us would have wanted to embrace. Something they did with Jack, and they've done it with some other guys, uh, they're – that was technically his first Grapefruit League outing, but he had been pitching on the backfields more than a live BP. It was like a sim game. So what we saw from some of the other pitchers as a first game in spring, he essentially did that on the backfields. They do that. They can control it. They know exactly how many pitches he's going to throw, things like that. And spring training is largely about being able to control as many situations as you can, and that seems to be a, a good plan for this team. There's no doubt about what you just said, and throw in the fact that he's not throwing against minor leaguers on the backfields. He's facing big leaguers and they talk what they see what he sees as far as their reaction to pitches he throws uh it's, it's a control setup and there is a benefit to it here in spring training and i think we saw a lot of what jack did on monday the fruits from that those efforts on the backfields he's also building up his pitch count i think he went over 45 pitches uh against 47 pitches as a matter of fact against uh, Houston, and you want to continue to build. I would hope the next round would be 60, maybe 65, because when we get in that opening day weekend, you want to see Jack Flaherty somewhere around 85 to 90 pitches. 
one battle that has kind of the pause button has been pushed on for just a moment or so is the battle for center field because uh, Dylan Carlson is a little bit banged up and uh, he should be back playing the outfield sooner than later, but he hasn't been able to do that. Tyler O'Neill is with Team Canada. Lars Newtbar is in the World Baseball Classic as well. So when spring training opened, it's three guys and you're trying to find innings for them in center field. And then all of a sudden you got minor league guys coming up playing center field because you got nobody out there to play. Yeah. Oscar Mercado's seeing a lot of action in center field and some guys that they had to pull off the backfields. Let's throw another name into that, Matt. Uh, Paul DeYoung has been dealing with a sore arm. Now he and Carlson will both have been on the trip as the Cardinals went over on the other side to play the Tigers and the Yankees. And they both were going to see action over there. So hopefully they'll start to really round into shape, and we'll start to see more of them once they return to Saint, or once they return back here to Jupiter, Florida. Paul DeYoung had a had a big hit the other day, hit the home run. We haven't seen a lot of them though, kind of what you're talking about. And he was as big of a question mark coming into spring, and I don't know if we're any closer on getting an answer. I would agree. Um, Mason Wynn is taking advantage of the opportunity with Tommy Edmond moving on to the WBC. But you would have hoped that Paul DeYoung would have had more opportunities. But as we mentioned, the sore arm has really relegated him to being more, nothing more than a DH. Got to get more out of him to make sure you can figure out what's going on with him. I say that for a couple of reasons. Either he can help you or he can help another team. We talked about the Dodgers losing their shortstop. You have to think. And as a matter of fact, I saw Dodgers scouts at our game recently. Um, so you have to think they're going to kick the tires on him as well. You mentioned Mason Wynn. Of all the guys that we've watched that have just been fun to watch, he's making contact, he's coming up with hits, he's making plays in the field, he's throwing the darn thing 99.9 miles per hour over to first base. He's not going to make the big league club, but you couldn't make much of a better impression than what he's doing right now. He's a lot closer to the big leagues now than he was when the spring started. Uh, I know I was talking to Ben Johnson about him, the minor league manager for the Memphis Redbirds, and I said, you have to be licking your chops to be able to write this guy's name in your lineup. He said... I might be writing it down, but I don't know how long I'll be writing it down because everybody sees this young man has the it factor working for him. I can't speak for you, so I'll ask you. I, I've been surprised because I haven't seen a whole lot of Mason win. The, I knew about the arm. I knew about the defense. But I felt like he was going to be overmatched from an offensive standpoint just based off what I had heard. That's wrong. And then Oliver Marmel was asked about that the other day, if maybe the reports on him were incorrect. And Marmel said, no, what we've heard is what we're seeing. Uh, but it's just been, it's been impressive all the way around. It has been. And, and there will be a kryptonite to him. I, I think I saw it the other day. They throw in those sliders. They get him set up to throw that slider away. And he still has the same swing where he needs to probably shorten it a little bit, maybe choke up and stay with that pitch instead of trying to drive it. Uh, and he'll learn that. And one of the neat things about him and Jordan Walker, and Tim Kens for that matter, sitting in that big league clubhouse, listening to those veterans talk to them. These guys have the veterans gravitating to them, wanting to help them be better, and talking about situations that they, they're not going to learn sitting in a minor league clubhouse. The, um, we, we get a list every day of some of the minor league guys who are available, and they don't all participate. A lot of pitchers are there for emergency situations, and if there's not an emergency situation, they're not going to get in. But for a former high-round pick like, um, like Cooper Jerpy, just being down there in the bullpen during a major league spring training game, that's amazing experience for him. Yeah, and uh, there are a lot of teams that don't afford that opportunity. You know, the Cardinals have a lot of experience in different areas. And, you know, one of the things about this bullpen, which I think still still think that it has 
doesn't have as much experience as I'd like to see. But all those guys are learning and listening from different other people. And then at some point you find what swim lane works best for you, and then you take it from there. I, there was a, so much criticism during the offseason from a contingent of the Cardinal fan base of John Mosellock about moves he made or maybe moves he didn't make in the offseason. And Mo spoke openly, spoke with a, about us. He spoke in general media sessions how they were going to be more reserved in some moves they made because of what they had coming. You weren't going to go invest eight years in a shortstop when Mason Wynn is coming up. you got to be careful with what you're going to do from a pitching standpoint. There's so many guys on the way, and they're not there yet, but – I think you can see so far in spring, we haven't even talked about what Jordan Walker's doing. Walker doesn't have the opportunities that he's getting. Maybe they go find another bat. We're, we're seeing why you had a more reserved John Mosellock when it comes to what's on the way. I would agree um, for a couple of reasons. One, you know you have some legitimate assets that you realize now we're not going to move. But it also puts you in a position where you can reallocate that money if you need to spend it in another position down the road. Think about this. You're in a division that you should be able to win, all right? So you want to make sure you prime yourself to get ready for the playoff run. And you can do that over the course of the season by evaluating what you have and what you're going to need and have plenty of time to address that issue because there will be a good player out there that will help shore up what your deficiency might be. So I'm, I'm anxious to see how things are going. I tip my captain, John Mazalak, at this stage of the year, and he'll tell you too. What you see in April will not be normally what you see in September as far as a roster is concerned. That's Mike Claiborne. I'm Matt Pauley. This is Amron. Countdown to opening day. We've got a lot coming up over the next two hours. Don't go anywhere as we continue to broadcast from Jupiter, Florida, across the Cardinals radio network. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. We are back on Countdown to Opening Day here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne standing by with a special guest. We'll get to that in just a moment. My name is Matt Pauley. On Saturday, May 6th, Bush Stadium is hosting the 18th annual Purina Pooches in the Ballpark Day. Come downtown and enjoy a ball game with man's best friend beside you. A limited number of tickets are on sale now at cardinals.com slash pooches. Well, as mentioned, Mike Claiborne standing by with a special guest. He's one of my favorite people in all of baseball. 
I'll let Klaibs tell you who he's got. Well, it's a real pleasure to have a chance to visit with Curtis Granderson, longtime Major League player, broadcaster, philanthropist, and he's now involved with the Players Alliance. So tell me about that. I read about it, and I've seen it, and I know a little bit about it. But for our listeners, give us an idea of what it's all about. So the Players Alliance was started in 2020. It was 150 former and current black ball players coming together. I didn't know we had that many. Right? You know, you had to go through the list of them and see it. But it's not just black ball players. If you've worn a professional uniform in baseball or softball, you are a member of the Players Alliance. There's no dues. There's no fees. You get a chance to be a part of this. And what we're trying to do is just help create equity and inclusion in and throughout our game. One of the things that we've noticed is that a lot of young players end up out of the game, not because they're not interested, but because of poverty. They financially can't afford to remain in the game, whether it's equipment, whether it's travel, whether it's training. And once we start to lose those players in the game, now we lose fans. Now we lose potential players playing at the professional level, going to college and graduating, executives, owners, all those different things now don't become an opportunity because we lost them at a very young age. And with the Players' Alliance, we're trying our best to help in a number of different ways, and that's just one of them. You went the the college route, Chicago guy, University of Illinois, major league player. But, man, you know, I've been at this a while. What do you think is the main reason why we don't have more participation from African Americans? 12 to 13 is the biggest drop you see in all of sports for a number of different reasons. Burnout? Well, a couple of things. One, the field gets big for the first time, so you start to fail for the first time ever. But outside of that, because a lot of players can overcome failure, but then travel ball, the play-to-play comes, and you you know remember as well as I do, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners do, when you would sign up to play for a league, the biggest financial commitment you had to do was take that box of candy bars home and then go sell them to the community to get your sh- shirt and your hat, and now all of a sudden you were able to play. And as you started to advance, you were selected to play on a travel team or a legion team. And if you didn't do that, you still had Babe Ruth, you had Senior League, you had all these that were very affordable to keep you in the game to allow you to develop. Because I was a late bloomer. And I was 145 pounds entering high school as a freshman, 165 pounds when I graduated high school. So travel ball wasn't necessarily going to be in the mix for me. I was never the best kid. I was good enough. I needed some time. And that time for me ended up being an opportunity to get a good scholarship to go to college. But the fact that we don't have full scholarship opportunities in baseball, I think, is another big thing. Uh, once you're faced with that opportunity, and CeCe Sabathia always says this, and Dontrell Willis, the two of them, I always remember this, they each were recruited in the state of California to go to school, and they received large baseball scholarships, not full, but large. And both their parents said, look, we can't afford the difference, so you can't go that route. So CeCe ended up signing to play football to get the full scholarship, knowing he was going to go there to play baseball. Dontrell said, I'm going to go to the draft and be done with it. So if you're not at educated in that side of it or you're faced with those challenges early especially since the signing day is happening so early and people are committing so early like they always say follow the money if baseball's or basketball's giving me full scholarship and football's potentially giving me a full scholarship and baseball's not and i know that if i have to choose there's a good chance i may choose the ones that where the money is and go from that side of it you know but with that said you have some guys who want to play both sports but you'll have a coach that says you got to play one or the other and i think that's restrictive because when we've seen guys and maybe Dion's really a high bar to set, but we've seen guys who play two sports. It, it kind of turns out okay. And everyone we've seen do it that's been in the big leagues, you know, they had some options. 
And, and I really wish coaches would allow that to happen more. And if you look at some of the best players that are currently in the game right now today, Mookie Betts mm-hmm. was is bowls 300 games yes. to this day, can dunk a basketball. Jacob DeGrom had Division I basketball scholarship opportunities to Bethune-Cookman and, and many other places. Just to name a few, you start talking to some of the best players in the game. They all played multiple sports. And when parents and coaches are asked that question that you have to choose and you have to finally narrow it down to one of them, if that is what you want to do, then, of course, do that. But definitely don't forget to keep baseball as an opportunity or another sport as an opportunity. There's nothing wrong with us saying, you know what, I'm going to play one sport full time. But then as a part of my practice today, I'm going to mix it up. Let's throw the football around. Let's kick the soccer ball around. Let's swing at the baseball because all those different things help us to become great players. You look at some of the best outfielders. That's a defensive back running after that ball out there, trying to make an uh, interception or a wide receiver going after it. The footwork on the infield, those are basketball players playing defense, shuffling their feet to the left because they don't know which way the ball is going for. So all those different sports collectively together end up helping in a number of different ways. So playing for as long as you can. If you can't do it on teams, incorporate it into your training. What was your side hustle? I played basketball. I bowled. I ran track. I ran cross country. But basketball was my thing. I was from Chicago. Mentally, you had no choice there if you were from Chicago. Yeah, you there was know. more chances to play basketball than baseball because of the weather. And because of the weather. And we had the Bulls in the 90s. You know, who didn't want to be like Mike, you know, being in Chicago at that time of the year? So uh, that was one of the big thing and I had a lot of friends and family pulling me why are you still playing baseball why are you playing baseball and I enjoyed baseball and it took me a while to realize I was a better baseball player than basketball player but I loved playing it I still love watching it and I did them all for as long as I could up until I went to college and I was actually going to play basketball and baseball in college until I broke my thumb and I said you know what let's see what this baseball thing is gonna do well it worked out for you 16 years later do you think sometimes kids, they so, so centralize themselves on one sport where they play it so much that they don't really understand? They, they, that's how maybe I think the burnout starts. Mm-hmm. Do you think kids are just, you know, this is a parent thing, where they just have playing baseball basically 13 months a year? Well, we look at it this way. So, for example, you, you mentioned that I played college baseball. I played at the University of Illinois Chicago in 2000. From 2000 to 2002, at that time, we played 56 regular season games. Currently, it's still about that same number at the Division I level. You play anywhere from 50 to 60 games as long as you don't get rained out. Currently, you start looking at some of these youth leagues that are playing these travel tournaments, 12U, 10U, 14U, and they're playing 70, 80, 100 games at the age of 12. I was a college athlete on scholarship playing 56 games. When I got drafted and signed my professional um, professional contract, I only played 70 games, and I got paid to do that. So we started talking about these 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds playing 50 to 100 games. There's a couple things you're missing out on. Birthday parties, graduations, family barbecues, sleepovers, going to the movies, just things that you look forward to as a kid. Some of your best memories that you're never going to get a chance to get back. We can always play some baseball. We can always play our sport, but you're not going to get a chance to graduate high school again or go to that school dance again or be with your friends for that sleepover again. And I think all those different things make it so important. So that way, when I do finally get a break and I come back to my sport, I'm excited to be there. You know, I had some time to get away from it, to refresh and look forward to it. And then let's get back to baseball again. Are you still the real estate baron of Chicago? You made a real investment in your community as a player, and I know you were heavily involved in that. What gave you that feel that you needed to give back and and go back to a community you came from? It's interesting. I grew up 
with parents that were giving back and I didn't realize that's what they were doing. I just thought that was normal. You, we had excess of things or surplus of things and there were people that needed some of it. We didn't. We gave it to them. Mm-hmm. We had extra food and we invited people over to eat. Hey, come on over and eat. You need a ride to and from this and we're going that way. Come with us. I didn't know that was giving back because they weren't famous. They weren't celebrities. It didn't seem like it cost a lot of money at that time. And now as I started to get older and realize, oh, wow, that's what my parents were doing. I was around me. That's what we've been doing. And now I have this name. I've been playing this sport and I can do that on a bigger scale. Someone helped me get to this point. Now I'm in a position where I can help others get to that point. So getting a chance to connect at University of Illinois, Chicago, make the donation to get the stadium built to not only allow the school to have a great place to play. We arguably have the best baseball skyline in all of sports. I will say that. But we get, you know, ages 8 to 18, black, white, brown, yellow, green, blue, boys and girls, an opportunity to come to a college campus practice play and train year round because we also have an indoor facility as well and for a lot of them it's their first time stepping foot on a college campus so for me that was that was the biggest thing to to be able to wow this university gave me this life and this opportunity let me try to provide these opportunities for someone else man it's been such a breath of fresh air to have a chance to visit with you and see you as a player and still working to make the, not only the community better, but the game better and it's great to visit with you and continue success sir thank you and thank you for taking me and allowing me on time all right, thanks, Claves. A conversation with uh, Curtis Granderson here on the Cardinals Radio Network. It is countdown to opening day. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by ESPN's Carl Ravitch. It's countdown to opening day on the Cardinals Radio Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Countdown to Opening Day show continues with Matt Pauley and Mike Claiborne on KMOX. It's the Countdown to Opening Day show on the Cardinals radio network alongside of Mike Claiborne. My name's Matt Pauley. Waylon and Willie might have some company on everyone's country music playlist. Yep, Adam Wainwright has caught the ear of folks in the industry, and you can read all about it in the new issue of Cardinals Magazine. Call 314-345-9000 or visit cardinals.com slash magazine to subscribe. Recently, Carl Ravitch was in Jupiter as ESPN uh, recently broadcast a Cardinals spring training game. I got to uh, speak with uh, the ESPN Play-by-play broadcaster covers Major League Baseball. And uh, as we started our conversation, it was very clear from the start, he thinks very highly of this Cardinals team. Sure. There's a lot to like about the Cardinals team. There's there's organizational depth. Um, there's an exciting young player in Jordan Walker. There's a Jack Flaherty in a contract year. The two guys at the corners. A division that I think when you look at it, 
in spite of what some of the projections are on win totals, it feels like the Cardinals are, to me, the, the best team in the division without question. You saw Wilson Contreras walk out here earlier, and you talked about him being such a difference maker. As you look at the Cardinals from the outside, what does a Wilson Contreras do? Well, you know, I think he just sort of changes the temperature in the room. I mean, we've gotten so used to Yadier Molina and and the way, you know, we, we know about the Cardinals' way. Well, I'm sure there was a Molina way um, that impacted and influenced pitchers and the organization in a very positive way for a long, long time. Um, but the Cardinals, you know, haven't won a World Series since David Fries in 11, so it's great to have the successful seasons, but ultimately you want to win a World Series. So I, I think that obviously the career of Molina was a Hall of Fame career, and it was at the end, and you bring in somebody that shakes it up. You know, there's a there's a fire about um, Contreras that I'm not saying this organization didn't have, but he's a unique guy you know he's an offensive catcher he he is probably a little bit better offensively than Yachty was even at his peak and you add another bat with a guy that has a cannon for an arm and under these new rules is going to be uh, what appear to be more likely stolen base attempts it's it's an asset and I think given what he said about Chicago and the Cubs recently and this organization relative to that that's exactly what you want we're talking before a game, we're talking the day after Jordan Walker had his first home run in spring, 430-foot shot, 109 off the bat. Are you excited to, to see this guy play? Uh, if you're not, then you know, you're not understanding what this game's about and what the future is and, and what he's got the potential to bring. I, you know, Just in the morning we've been here talking with guys and talking with him, he, he jumps off the page at you as a mature, uh, enthusiastic, fun kid. He doesn't turn 21 until May. And, uh, yeah, he's, as he said, he's living the dream. You, you look at Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and bodies around Major League Baseball, he, he, he's that guy, that's for sure. But he's got a presence about him which is unique and generally translates well to success at the Major League level. So 100% I'm excited about watching him play. From a rules changes standpoint, yeah. what have you been most interested in so far? Well, I think the easy one is the pitch clock because it seems to be the one that's right out in front of everybody. And you have now Max Scherzer talking about how we can, as pitchers, take advantage of the rules, kind of dictate pace, freeze hitters. So I would say that that's the one that's you know, front and center. I don't think the big bases are going to make a huge difference. Um, we'll see about stolen bases. I, we had a chance to talk with Tommy Edmond. Every one of these rule changes uh, seem to give Tommy Edmond an advantage. His athleticism, his ability to steal bases, uh, no shift, all of those things. And uh, for a guy who does really well when it comes to war, he, he's only going to get better. So, uh, you know, I think collectively they're for the better of the game. I've had a manager or two tell me I'm a little concerned about step-offs and pick-off attempts, and we'll see where that goes come inning seven, eight, and nine. But I'm I'm encouraged. I look forward to it. And I think the players, I know the players will adjust. That's what players do. They're their whole lives, whether Little League, you know, high school, college, they adjust to whatever rules they're told to play by. I'm glad you mentioned Tommy Edmonds. So during the offseason, some Cardinals fans wanted the Cardinals to go sign a yeah. shortstop. And, yeah. you know, when Dansby Swanson signed, I looked at that and I said, Tommy Edmond is Dansby. There's not a whole lot of difference between the two. We see how much money that Dansby makes. Does Edmond get the credit he deserves for being an upper echelon shortstop? Um well, he does in certain circles. Uh, there, I think there was a pretty big bonus he got for, for having the war that he had. Um, 
But I think collectively, you know, the advantage Swanson had over over others is the World Series. Um, when you win a ring, it's a big deal. I do think that Edmund's going to steal more bases. I mean, Tommy Edmund could be a 45-50 stolen base guy. His defensive metrics are off the charts. Uh, I know he's excited about what this season's going to bring with regards to how the rule changes impact him. To some extent, I think he's, he can be overshadowed. And if you look at Swanson and the team he played on, there's the guy up the middle, even though you know he had Olsen there last year and Acuna and Albies, he, he managed to stand out a little bit. And I don't know if it's, 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 it's his play, it's uh, his college experience as a World Series champ, it's his hair. There's something about Swanson that people kind of gravitate to. In Edmonds' case, you got Arenado next to you. you got Goldschmidt over there. You've had Molina and Wainwright. It's easy in this organization to be overshadowed. And I think, I think locally that may happen, so therefore it probably happens nationally. Last thing for you, spring training last year delayed by uh, the labor situation, COVID years before that. How much? How nice is it for all you guys that this is just very normal? Yeah, refreshing, no question about it. Um, we've seen it in every camp. I, I've, it's not just the media that's impacted by it. It's the clubhouse. It's the players. Um, I, I've been to several you know, restaurants, Matt, in Florida, and you, when you sort of take a step back and you, you go home at night, you realize, like, Wow, we just went to a, a restaurant and it was crowded and there were people there and nobody was was seemingly you know concerned about COVID or anything else. So all of those things contribute to an environment that feels like it should feel, and that part's fantastic. So yeah, it's it's refreshing and we can't wait to get the season started. It's great to see you. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Matt. That's my conversation with Carl Ravitch from ESPN from earlier in the week as he was in Jupiter covering the Cardinals. Up next, Mike Claiborne has a conversation with the CEO of Dinger Bats, Kyle Drone. The bat industry, it is an interesting one. So many things interesting about the business of baseball. Kyle Drone joins us on the program in just a moment. This is Countdown to Opening Day on the Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. We're back. It's countdown to opening day on the Cardinals radio network. Alongside of Mike Claiborne, I'm Matt Pauley. Cardinals Nation Restaurant hosting family night with Fred Bird Wednesdays from 5 to 9 until the home opener. Kids can eat free, meet Fred Bird, play games and win prizes, reservations, full schedule, and more information at cardinalsnation.com. There are so many different facets to the business of baseball and things that are going on to make the game work. And obviously, You're not playing baseball unless you have baseball bats, and there are a lot of bat manufacturers out there all trying to figure out the way with the uh, technology to make their product the best. One of those companies is Dinger Bats. Their CEO is Kyle Drone. He was recently in Jupiter, and Mike Claiborne got the chance to uh, speak with him. The first thing they talked about was uh, just the process that the folks at uh, Dinger Bats go through when they're working with individual players. Um, basically, uh, you know, it's a networking thing. Uh, luckily, we've got good relationships with uh, the clubhouse managers at uh, most of the, uh, uh, with most of the teams uh, to give us access. And then once we uh, can work with the players a little bit, uh, sample some stuff for them, try to, uh, you know, make a bat to their specifications, and then, uh, you know, they may come back and want to tweak something here and there. But, uh, you know, that basically starts the process, and then it's relationships after that. Yeah, relationships for sure. And as we know, there are some players that are very 
meticulous about their bat, whether it's weight, whether it's feel, the whole nine yards. How long does it take for a player to actually get a feel for a bat and then stay with it? Because some of these guys are so bat and brand loyal. Once they have one that they really rake with, man, they, they'll take it to home and take it to bed with them if they need to. Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the players. There are some players that uh, find a, uh, a model they like early on, and that's what they use their entire career. Uh, Jason Hayward, for example, uh, he's uh, used the same model since he's been in pro ball. Um, some other guys uh, may change three or four different models throughout the year depending on how they feel you know later in the year they may drop weight or they may use a shorter bat uh things like that so walk me through the process of how bats made because i know you, you got to chop a tree down somewhere i know right. about that part yeah, yeah. but take me through the process of how long it takes from the minute that tree comes down to the point where it's in somebody's hands all right so uh we're not in the logging process we have uh, raw material suppliers that do that part of it but um, once we get it in the billet form, it's uh, 37 inches by 2.8 uh, inches in diameter, and we weigh them all out because the weight's going to determine, you know, your end product on the on the different models. So, from the time we get it, we pull the billet and we run it through the machine. It takes approximately 90 seconds uh, to cut the bat. It takes another, you know, minute or two to sand it. Uh, it'll then go into the uh, paint section, which is the the length, the longest uh, process because of the drying times, even with dryers and things like that. Paint and not lacquer, because they used to lacquer them up, and that kind of created some issues. So you paint the bats. Yeah, um, we we paint the bats. It is actually a lacquer, mm-hmm. but the finish, uh, the hard gloss uh, over the top at the end is proprietary. We don't share that, but it's a it's extremely uh, hard finish. Uh, to give the guys the pop they want. Um, but that process, depending on how many different colors, if it's a two-tone bat or whatnot, could take up to two to three days in the paint shop. Then once it's finally cured, a couple days later, we'll pull it out, engrave it with their their name, their signature, you know, model number, size, and weight. And then for Major League Baseball, we have to serial number each of the bats uh, so that they can track them to make sure that we're keeping up with quality standards. Um, and then we ship it out the door. So we try to get everything out within 10 days uh, for, our, for our pro guys. When you talk about weights of bats, how do you reduce or increase weight of a bat? I mean, you shave it down a little bit more, you hollow it out at the top. What's the best process? Well, first it comes with, you know, when, when the wood, the raw material comes in, we weigh them and separate them out. And then we have weight ranges that we have to be around. But, yes, we, we do... Um, use a cupping process uh maximum cup is is uh, one inch that we can use it can take up to about three quarters of an ounce out so if we can dial it in uh within that range uh then we're pretty good um we can we do have the ability to modify uh or shave down a a bat to get the weights but we do not do that unless the player requests that or approves that the puck bat, we saw a lot last year, and you and I were talking when an MVP is swinging and then everybody gets in line for it. Tell me about how that came about and what the difference is. Obviously, it depends on who has it in their hands, but we've seen a lot of different hitters use different forms of a handle. So how did the puck bat come about? Well, the, the concept's been around for a long time as far as uh, usually for training, and it's a counterbalance uh, underneath your hands, which allows you better bat speed but also allows you to use a denser heavier piece of wood but not feel like it so would it be something like 
to me, it looks like you're basically choking up a little bit as far as the, the conventional way of choking up, moving your hands up to bat. Now that bottom handle kind of gives you that balance that you're talking about. Yeah, it's the same same concept, but you're not losing any length. So rather than going to a 35-inch bat and like choking up to where it's a 33, you can still use the 33, but put that weighted puck underneath your hands. You know, you and I talked about Richie Allen swinging a 42-ounce bat. They don't even make those anymore. What's the heaviest bat you sold? Uh, for players to use is uh, 33 ounces, 35-inch, uh, 33-ounce. Um, but we do make heavy training bats, and I think we can get them up to about 40, 42 ounces, but nobody in today's game would swing a bat like that. If we do, I want, I want to meet them for sure. <laughs> All right, how can people, because parents listen to this, because wood bats are making a comeback in certain areas as well, uh, what's the best way people can learn more about what you do and certainly about this intriguing industry that be a bat manufacturing? Um, well, you can visit our website at uh, dingerbats.com or follow us on all the social medias at dingerbats as well. And you're a local outfit. Yeah, we're based in southern Illinois, uh, 30 miles east of Marion, Illinois, and about an hour and 15 minutes uh, southeast from Mount Vernon. All right, well, I'm going to start looking at those trademarks and seeing the Dinger logo. It's kind of like an omega symbol for those who know Greek alphabet. And, uh, Kyle, good luck with this, man. This seems like this is a lot of fun. We see you here every year. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some big hitters wearing those bats this year. All right, I appreciate it, Mike. Mike Claiborne talking with Kyle Drone, the CEO of Dinger Bats, who is in Jupiter working with a number of uh, Cardinals players here recently. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up hour number one. It's countdown to opening day on the Cardinals Radio Network. The Countdown to Opening Day show continues with Matt Pauley and Mike Claiborne on King MOX. We're starting to put the final touches on hour number one of Countdown to Opening Day alongside of Mike Claiborne. My name is Matt Pauley. Coming up in hour number two, I hope you'll uh, stick around with us. We're going to have our weekly snapshot segment where we look back at a big moment, a big game from 2022. As we always say, 2022 was filled with big moments for the Cardinals. We've kind of been counting down uh, throughout the course of uh, this show during the offseason. And with just a couple shows left, we've got uh, a big one coming up today. You'll definitely want to be uh, tuned in for that. Also, I've got a conversation uh, with uh, one of the newest members of the Cardinals, uh, Anthony Masevich, who came over from uh, the Royals organization just before spring training got started. So that's all part of what you'll hear in hour number two of the program. You know, one of the things during spring that's kind of challenging to do is figure out what's real and what's not real in terms of numbers that are being put up. There are so many variables during spring training and just assessing them and figuring out if this is something that's going to be able to, you know, keep up and really play in the regular season. It's tough to do that. And you never really know if Grapefruit League success is going to lead to regular season success. That being said, there's a few players who have been performing at a somewhat high level that, to me, I think is a really good sign of things to come. I'm going to start with Brendan Donovan. He hit a home run uh, on Wednesday, and with that, he now has three home runs in Grapefruit League play. He put on some muscle. He was able to uh, get into the gym during the course of uh, the offseason. He's hitting for average at 304, and he is such a valuable player to this team because he can go play so many different positions. So what that allows you to do is you can kind of 
play the hot hand and you can kind of set your lineup the way you want to set it with the best players, the highest performing players at any given moment playing. And then wherever you have that hole, you can kind of stick Donovan in. So to see him uh, perform in this kind of way, following up on what was a really good season for him last year, I think that's good to see. Another guy, Dylan Carlson, had a bit of a slow start to spring, but he hit back-to-back home runs on Monday and Tuesday and hit him from the left side. And that's the key for him. And you look at the way this roster is being constructed and you try to figure out whether or not Jordan Walker is going to be on that opening day roster. And if he is, what it's going to look like from there, because Walker is going to play every day. So then all of a sudden, that starting outfield group that you thought was going to be Dylan Carlson, Lars Newtbar, and Tyler O'Neill, it's going to be just two of those three guys. And maybe you could do some things with uh, splits and platooning and, and, and all of that, but Dylan Carlson being able to perform the way the organization thinks he can is a really important thing. And then Nolan Gorman, both offensively and defensively, has put together a really, really good spring. And that's important as well, seeing what he did last year and then all the work that he put in in the offseason. So if I had to choose three guys that maybe I've been most impressed with uh, from a uh, hitting standpoint, position player standpoint, those would certainly be the guys. All right, one hour down, one more to go. It's Countdown to Opening Day on the Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. Into hour number two, it's Countdown to Opening Day here on the Cardinals Radio Network, alongside of Mike Claiborne. My name's Matt Pauley. A lot coming up at this hour, a conversation with the newest Cardinal, Anthony Misevich, in just a moment. Do want to remind you right now, though, that theme tickets are on sale now and feature returning favorites like Star Wars, Grateful Dead, Friends Night, and more. New for 2023, don't miss Harry Potter, Yellowstone, and Emo Night. For details and a full list of dates, visit cardinals.com slash theme. Just before spring training got started, the Cardinals acquired pitcher Anthony Masevich. He came over from the Kansas City organization. His first outing was really, really good during Grapefruit League play. He struggled in his second outing, as did a lot of pitchers uh, in a game uh, against Detroit. Nonetheless, I got the chance to uh, talk with uh, Masevich. I asked him just about that process and what it was like changing teams and coming to uh, the Cardinals, especially so close to the start of spring training. Well, you know, it was a little hectic, you know, the past uh, two weeks. Getting a waiver trade at the deadline is never good, but to get picked up by an organization like the Cardinals, um, it's a great opportunity. I'm really grateful for it, and I'm ready to get started here in spring training. You spend your entire offseason kind of planning for spring training, where you're going to live, all that sort of stuff, and then essentially on the eve of spring training, you find out that uh, you're, you're going somewhere else. What's that like? Oh, man, it's, you can't explain it. It's just a, it's a different feeling in your, in your stomach, so you don't really know what's going to happen. In. Um, <clears throat> But, you know, you gotta, you got to think about each day and something good's going to happen. So eventually it did, and I was more than happy to get the call from the Cardinals to get going in Florida here. So I'm happy to go. Yeah, with all due respect to your previous organization, this is an organization that wins every year. There's high expectations for this season. Does it re-energize you the moment you're walking in here? Absolutely. Even growing up, red was my favorite color for some odd reason. So to put the Cardinal red on every day, it just feels so good to be a part of an organization that wins every year and is ready to contend. What's it like walking into a clubhouse with a bunch of new faces? It's always tough. You know, this isn't my first time going to a new clubhouse. So, uh, you know, just taking it day by day, you know, kind of feeling where I, I fit in. So, But the guys have been real nice, the, the whole staff, everybody from front office down. So I just want to say again, like, thank you again for the opportunity, and let's, let's win a championship. 
What's the message? Because obviously they've got you on film. They, they want you for a reason. When you're walking in here for the first time and they kind of know who you are and want to do, what's the, what's the message you're receiving from the coaches? Uh, you know, just keep that competitive edge. Um, I told them before I came out I was throwing a, to a ton of hitters, so they're just they're really uh, egging me on to keep working on my stuff and sharpen up right before game start and we get in the lives here. It seems like you throw a lot and you can recover pretty quickly. Is that something that you take pride in and almost always being available? I do, yeah. I think I think the more appearances and the more times I'm out there showing the you know, the front office and the coaching staff I can go out there and I'm I'm healthy is it's really important, you know. I saw a stat recently, it was seventh in appearances over the past three years, so I think I keep keeping that up in my, my repertoire is definitely helping me on my side. With the Universal DH, there's not a whole lot of difference now between the American League and National League, but you play some different teams more often. Are you excited about the, the different league? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's some teams I gotta and some stadiums I gotta cross off my list to play and be at, so I think I think going to the NL is a good change for me. It's gonna be the right opportunity for me. I don't have it in front of me. Have you played a game in St. Louis? Have you pitched in St. Louis before? No, I have not. Nope, the other side of Kansas City. So have not seen this place, so I'm really excited to, to take it in. It's But you're, you're very familiar with kind of the, the Midwestern culture as well. I think that, that helps in this situation. Yeah, and that was a big joke, you know, getting uh, treated over here. It was, you know, at least I'm not going very far. Still in the Midwest, still in the, still in the good time zone. So it was a little joke, but I... Uh, I'm really excited to see what St. Louis has to offer. This is a WBC year, and with that, there's going to be a lot of innings in spring training. Is that something that you're excited about? Because when these games get started, you're probably going to get lots of opportunities to get out there. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a definitely a big push for me to try and make the club out of spring training. So it's just about recovering every day and going out and showing what I can do. So I uh, wish Poland had a team I could join, but uh, maybe in a few years coming. Anthony, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. That was my conversation with Cardinals pitcher Anthony Misevich here on Countdown to Opening Day on the Cardinals Radio Network. Are you looking for a truly unique event space? Cardinals Special Events can help to create memorable corporate and personal events in both Bush Stadium and Cardinals Nation Restaurant. For more information on options for an experience your guest won't stop talking about, visit cardinals.com slash events. When we return, it is time for our weekly snapshot segment as we look back at a big moment from 2022. This is Countdown to Opening Day on the Cardinals Radio Network. The Countdown to Opening Day show continues with Matt Pauley and Mike Claiborne on KMOX. It is the countdown to opening day show across the Cardinals radio network. It is time for our weekly snapshot segment where we go back and uh, look at a big game or a big moment from this past season. As we say just about every week, we had a lot of moments to choose from. Really, we're kind of counting down the biggest moments of the year. And with uh, just a few weeks left of this show, this show wraps up as we do get to opening day. Uh, We are getting to bigger and bigger moments. So we are going to go back today to September 16th. The Cardinals are matched up against the Reds. Jack Flaherty on the mound. Strikeouts would kind of be a big part of this game, and Flaherty certainly had a part in all of that. Uh, He would get the first two outs in the first inning and then face off against Kyle Farmer. Farmer tightens the straps on the batting gloves. He has hurt the Cardinals in the past. There's a swing and a miss. Going for the high hard one, Farmer strikes out. More strikeouts for Flaherty in the second inning. Strikes out Jake Fraley for the first out of the inning. And then with two outs, he faces off against Aristides Aquino. Aquino playing in his 68th game at the big league level. 
The 1-2 pitch. Swing and a foul tip into the catcher's mid strike three. Three strikeouts in two innings for Flaherty. The Reds would strike first in this game. It comes in the third inning. Johnson, India, reaches on an RBI fielder's choice to score Nick Senzel, who had led the inning off with a base hit. That gives the Reds a 1-0 lead, but Kyle Farmer does ground into a double play, and that gets the Cardinals out of the inning. And the Cardinals would answer that run in the bottom of the third. Tyler O'Neill walks, steals second, and eventually scores on a Brendan Donovan base hit, where there's also a throwing error. Speaking of Flaherty and those strikeouts, he would get another one of them in the fourth inning with the game tied 1-1. He faces off against Aristides Aquino again and gets another strikeout. The Reds would have a somewhat big inning, though. In the fifth, Austin Romine leads the inning off with a base hit. The Reds would get back-to-back base hits to get the inning going. And then uh, Kyle Farmer eventually would be hit by a pitch, so that loads the bases for Jake Fraley. The pitch to Fraley, and he hits a flare down the left field line. That ball is going to get down fair. Two runs are going to score. Racing for third base, Farmer. He gets the stop sign and goes back to the bag on the throw in from Dickerson. The third hit in the inning, a double for Fraley, and the Reds lead 3-1. That gives the Reds the 3-1 lead. Aristides Aquino later in the inning would add an RBI single to score Jake Fraley. Three runs on four hits for the Reds in the fifth, and they lead by a 4-1 score. The day would be over for Jack Flaherty after his five innings, and on comes for the Cardinals to pitch. Zach Thompson, he puts up a zero in the sixth, and then the Cardinals are able to tie it up in the bottom of the sixth inning. They're going to get started with a Paul Goldschmidt double. Next hitter, Nolan Arenado. Arenado, two fly balls to center field tonight. He swings, and there's a hit to right center, and that's a run. Coming around third, Goldschmidt scores the throw to the plate. Too late. Goldschmidt slides in, and then Romine catches the throw. After a Corey Dickerson flyout, it brings up Albert Pujols. Albert is the tying run at the plate. He's 0 for 1, a hit by pitch and a strikeout. A swing and a long drive. Left field. Albert Pujols just tied the game. With home run, 698. Light up the night. No doubt about that pitch. And we've talked about it earlier, John. Albert is looking early in the count. Pitches like this, you don't know Albert. Try and throw that get me over first fastball to get a strike. And Albert was sitting on it, and he made no mistake on where it was going to go. Wow. Pools has an RBI in six straight games. Tying the Cardinals season high. By the way, if we talk about first pitch swinging, Albert is hitting 438 on the first pitch he swings at. Well, that's what these fans came to see, and there's the curtain call for Albert Pujols, a tip of the batting helmet for this big crowd in St. Louis. 4-4, Cardinals red. It was just incredible last year as Pujols went on his home run binge, how so many of those home runs had a major impact on the game, either tying games or giving the Cardinals the lead. In that case, he ties it up, and it's 4-4 going through the seventh. But give the Reds credit, they were able to answer. Uh, JoJo Romero on to pitch for the Cardinals. First batter he faces is Kyle Farmer. He waits on the next pitch from Romero, and it's on the way. 
There's a line drive in the left center field. This ball is at the track, and this ball is gone. As I mentioned, he can hurt you, and he just did with his 12th home run of the year, his 67th RBI, and the Reds have taken the lead again, 5-4. But then speaking of answering, the Cardinals do just that in the bottom of the seventh inning. Brendan Donovan leads the inning off with a walk with one out. Paul Goldschmidt standing in. Here's his pitch. Ground ball, base hit down the left field line. Donovan rounds second. He'll go to third. Goldschmidt rounds first. He's going to go. They're going to try and score. Here comes Donovan. There's no throw. The Cardinals have tied the game on a double by Paul Goldschmidt. That ties the game up. Not tied up for long. Next hitter, Nolan Arenado. There's a line drive in the left field. It's starting to die. Friedel comes on. He can't make the play. Here comes Goldschmidt. He's going to score. Arenado around second. Now he holds up as he drives in the lead run for the Cardinals. As Friedel had to go a long way, and he couldn't come up with it. And the Cardinals are taking the lead. So the Cardinals have the 6-5 lead as Goldschmidt and Arenado each come through in the seventh inning. It would stay that way into the ninth. And that's when Ryan Helsley comes on to pitch for the Cardinals. First battery faces at Kyle Farmer. Pitch one, strike. Pitch two, strike. Pitch three. The 0-2 pitch for Kyle Farmer leading off the ninth inning. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. He threw the off-speed pitch in the dirt, and Farmer chased him. A three-pitch strikeout of Kyle Farmer. The next hitter, Jake Fraley. Pitch one, strike. Pitch two, strike. Pitch three. Working out of the stretch with nobody on base. Helsley is ready. The 0-2 pitch with one out in the ninth. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. Farmer struck out. Braley struck out. The Reds are down to their last out. Six pitches, six strikes. Six pitches, six strikes, two strikeouts for Ryan Helsley. And up comes Donovan Solano. The first two pitches that Helsley throws, they are strikes. And here is pitch number three of the Solano at bat and pitch number nine of the day for Helsley. Well, the Reds down to their last strike. 0-2, two two outs from the high set position. The pitch to Solano. A swing and a miss. A Redbird winner. Nine pitches, nine strikes for Helsley. Saving the game. Light up the night in downtown St. Louis. The Cardinal players rush out of the dugout, shake hands with the players coming off the field. Fireworks in downtown St. Louis, celebrating the Cardinals' 85th win and a comeback victory, 6-5 over the Reds, an immaculate ninth inning, nine pitches, nine strikes. Helsley gets the save, Stratton the win. The series is even at a game apiece. 6-5 Cardinals. The Cardinals get the win, and Ryan Helsley... Tosses the immaculate inning. It is just the third immaculate inning in franchise history and the 108th in Major League Baseball history for the Cardinals. It was the first since Jason Isringhausen had one in 2002 against the Astros. Bob Gibson also had an immaculate inning in the seventh inning against the Dodgers back in 1969. So Ryan Helsley, Jason Isringhausen, Bob Gibson, the only pitchers to throw an immaculate inning in franchise history for the Cardinals. That's quite the group. Of course, earlier in the game, Albert Pujols hitting his 698th career home run. Sixth straight game with an RBI that was tied for the longest streak. 
by a Cardinal during the season and his longest since going seven uh, games with the Angels back in 2017. And uh, with the uh, home run, it was his uh, 476th career home run in the National League. That passed uh, Stan Musial and Willie Stargell for sole possession of 10th place in National League history. And we mentioned those home runs having a big impact. The Cardinals at that point were 15-1 and on the season in games where he hit a home run. Afterwards... Paul Goldschmidt spoke with her own Mike Claiborne. Our player of the game, and there were many tonight. Paul Goldschmidt, two hits, scored a run. It was a huge win for you guys. What is it about this ball club? Because you guys find yourself getting back into ball games a variety of different ways. Small ball, long ball. But what is it about this club in particular? Yeah, I mean, we just talk about just having good at-bats and and whatever the game kind of gives us. So, you know, just kind of whatever happens. If there's an opportunity to bun or run or whatever we got to do, we'll take it. But, you know, if you got to swing, then you got to do that too. You know, uh, Cincinnati showed us just about every pitcher they have on the staff tonight. How do you try and make those adjustments from pitcher to pitcher? Because you're going to see this guy just one time in the evening. Yeah, it's always tough when uh, you're facing all bullpen guys. But um, you just got to go up there and, you know, keep it simple, try to have a good at-bat. You know, they had our number early, but we were able to, you know, tie up the game and then get the lead. So, you know, good game. Final question for you. You're a baseball fan. You're a baseball player. How much fun is it for you as a fan to watch Albert Pujols? And what do you start to do when he, when he walks to the on-deck circle? What are you doing? I just got to listen to the fans cheer. You know who's hitting. But, um, yeah, it's awesome. It's honestly an honor to play with him. It's uh, It's been so great to just try to take it in. You know, couldn't ask for a greater guy and teammate. Just uh, awesome for him. Can you imagine what this place would be like if 700 is hit in St. Louis? Yeah, it'd be amazing. So, uh, you know, hopefully that can happen, and hopefully we can keep playing well. Put the word in. Let's see if we can get that done. Yeah, thank you. All right, Paul Goldschmidt, our player of the game. Oliver Marmel also speaking with the media after the game, the audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. Oh, I think you guys are now 15-1 and one when Albert homers. Does that just show the impact that, that his homers have? I like when he homers in. Um, yes, uh, that was a big swing. He continues to do it in meaningful situations. That's the that's what matters. Um, it'd be one thing if he's just chasing it, but the thing is, he's taking um, an unbelievable approach and delivering when we need it most. So, is he chasing 700? Yes, but he's chasing the championship more than that. He's basically talked a lot about grinding out at bats, but he's also shown the ability to pounce when something looks good. How aggressive have you seen him in five of his homers have come on the first pitch this season? Yeah, um, he made an adjustment and caught that one pretty good. Um, so, yeah, he smells blood. He, he can pounce on it pretty quick. When you say adjustment, that adjustment to how the Reds were pitching Correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think five of his last six have either tied the game or given you the lead, too. Does that just ram it home? Yeah, and that's my point in all of it is uh, all of his homers are, are meaningful right now. Uh, the ones in Pittsburgh were down to tie the game to put us ahead. This one today to tie it back up. It's uh, He's taken some really meaningful at-bats for us. Pretty exciting to see uh, Ryan Helsley close out the ball game in the way that he did. Yeah. I mean, nine pitches, three punch outs. This stuff was electric, and the slider was uh, unhittable. Um, that was fun to watch. Well, yeah, Albert said the other night he could sense a difference, that the, the urgency, the, the, the excitement, he could feel a difference. Do you feel like he's feeding off of this excitement in the crowd around him? Yeah, he's tasted it before. 
you win a championship and uh, the way you hear these guys describe it uh, <laughs> and you're getting close to and you know you have a team that has the ability to do it um, as you get closer and you start to smell it yeah you, you feed off of that I mean talking about a Friday night at Bush places packed out you feed off of that that crowd was fun tonight I'll tell you that and that is this week's snapshot We've still got a couple more to go before we wrap up the run of a Countdown to Opening Day. We'll take a break. We have much more coming up. This is Countdown to Opening Day across the Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. Countdown to Opening Day continues on the Cardinals Radio Network. Cardinals Kids Clinics are back in 2023. Registration begins mid-March for boys and girls aged 7 to 13. Cardinals alumni will provide small group instruction on throwing, hitting, fielding, and more. Cardinals Kids Clinics will be an experience your child will never forget. Learn more at cardinals.com slash clinics. Speaking of experiences, you'll never forget. It is quite the uh, list of concerts that are going to be coming to Bush Stadium this summer. And to talk about that, we're happy to welcome on to the program. She is the Vice President of Event Services and Merchandising with the Cardinals. She is Vicki Bryant. Vicki, thanks so much for taking some time with us. How are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's um, it's really cool the way you guys are able to use the Bush Stadium space for for so much beyond baseball, and that includes uh, some big shows. From just from a general standpoint, we'll get into some of the uh, the individual things in a moment. But can you talk to me a little bit about just kind of the the motivation and what you guys are thinking about when you bring in some of these uh, big time concerts that we're going to talk about? You know, coming out of COVID, there are so many huge bands that are going out on tour and. It was really exciting for us to have the opportunity to really expand on our concert calendar and um, bring some great shows here to Bush that, um, you know, when the Cardinals are out of town, um, we've got some great activity with some great music and um, in a very unique setting to um, experience a concert. All right, so let's go through some of the shows that are going to be uh, coming up. And uh, we'll start. Country music fans certainly uh, are going to get their fill coming up uh, this summer. As uh, First off, we're going to see uh, Luke Combs come to Bush Stadium. Yes, on June the 17th, we have two of the biggest names in country music, both going to be here at Bush Stadium. We'll start off with, um, as you said, Luke Combs on June 17th. And then in July, on the 6th and 7th of July, we'll have two great shows with Morgan Wallen. And um, both of them are bringing some really top-quality talent with them. So um, we'll have three nights um, of great country music. That's really cool, especially, you know, Morgan Wallen. Right now in country music, it doesn't get a whole lot bigger than uh, than him. He really um, has just exploded in his popularity. And, you know, I think, um, you know, you've got someone like Luke who has, you know, a whole um, portfolio of great songs over the years. And um, and then, you know, Morgan, in the last few years, he's really surged in popularity. Um, his, the you know, the albums that he's putting out, I mean, he's got hit after hit after hit. So, um, you know, we're really excited um, to welcome him to Bush Stadium. And then the most recent announcement, this is really cool, a, a legendary band in Guns N' Roses is going to be coming to Bush Stadium. Yes, we are so excited. On September the 9th, we will welcome Guns N' Roses. You know, they, you know, absolutely, you're 100% correct. They're one of the biggest, most iconic 
um, bands in rock. So we'll finish off this concert season with a great rock and roll legendary band. Um, you know, they have not been out on tour since, um, you know, 21. And, you know, they're coming back with a huge world tour. They'll kick it off um, over in, um, you know, in Europe and in the Middle East and then come back here to North America. And we're uh, right smack dab in the middle of the tour, and we couldn't be more thrilled to have them. I have to wonder how many Guns N' Roses fans in St. Louis exist because of Mark McGuire and his walk-up music with Welcome to the Jungle. Well, certainly, um, I, I think there's quite a, quite a few fans, um, you know, um, you know, that was a, um, a great pick for him as a walk-up song. Yeah, absolutely. So if folks want more information, if they want to get tickets, what's the, uh, what's the best way to do this? Right now, Luke Holmes and Morgan Wallen are both um, sold out, but we encourage our um, fans to continue to check the website because as, you know, typical with any um, of these big tours, additional tours uh, and tickets get released, um, and when, especially once they see where the stage is going to end and, and if more tickets are, you know, going to be within sight range. So we encourage fans to continue to check back. Um, all of our concerts are available at cardinals.com slash Luke Holmes slash Morgan Wallen. And then Guns N' Roses, we still have some tickets left for that one, some great seats. So cardinals.com slash Guns N' Roses. Uh, and, you know, um, some great tickets available in all price ranges. And they also have a lot of um, really great um, platinum packages, too, that, you know, have some nice, amenities included with it that can really upgrade the experience so we encourage fans to go you know check those out and um and come join us for a great night of rock and roll she is vicki bryant vice president of in services and merchandising with the cardinals vicki thank you so much for the time and the information uh, hopefully we can catch up with you again in the future look forward to it thanks for having me that's vicki bryant joining us here on countdown to opening day don't go anywhere a lot more still coming up before we ramp things up on this edition right here on the cardinals radio network the countdown to opening day show continues with matt Polly and mike claiborne on king mox Continuing on with this edition of a countdown to opening day on the Cardinals radio network. Cardinals single game tickets are on sale now and start at just $6. The 2023 season is filled with great matchups, including the cards against the Yankees, Cubs, and Dodgers. And the promotional schedule is stacked with over 40 exclusive giveaways for tickets or more information. You can visit Cardinals.com. Taking a look at what's happened here over the last uh, couple days, uh, two interesting games for different reasons for for the Cardinals. Uh, first off on Tuesday, uh, they end up losing to the Detroit Tigers by a 16-3 to score. We talked about it a little bit in the last hour. That was the game where Dylan Carlson hit his second home run in his many games. That was good to see. Nolan Gorman hit a home run as well. It was also a game where a couple top prospects in the organization had a really hard time on the mound. Gordon Graceffo is the number four prospect in the organization, according to MLB Pipeline. Michael McGreevy, the number eight prospect, and uh, each of them gave up multiple runs. Graceffo got the start, gave up four runs in two and two-thirds innings, and then McGreevy gave up six runs while only recording four outs. But 
that's kind of what spring training is for, especially for these young guys. And some of the young guys have really made a big positive impact. You look at uh, Mason Wynn, obviously Jordan Walker trying to win a spot on the opening day roster. Uh, those guys have had a lot of success, but sometimes you get those young guys who are not quite ready for the big leagues and they face off against some uh, pretty good hitting and they have a hard time with it and it can be a learning experience. So that's what you hope that they're able to take out of it, specifically with uh, Graceffo and McGreevy a couple guys who have very, very bright futures uh, with the Cardinals down the line. Then on Wednesday, the Cardinals shut out the Yankees 4 nothing, and Jake Woodford again pitched really well. He went four shutout innings, gives up just three hits, one strikeout, one walk. He now has nine Grapefruit League innings so far in spring, and he's given up just one run. So he's got a one ERA. And uh, if the Cardinals needs a six starter, if uh, one of the top five not available when the regular season gets started, you have to look at the, the job that he has done and wonder if he is going to be the guy. And even when you look at his big league numbers from last year, they were pretty good. He's a guy that we don't talk about a whole lot, but maybe we should spend a little bit more time talking about him because he really has performed well. An interesting game coming up on Thursday as they are going to match up against Team Nicaragua uh, in the in a World Baseball Classic exhibition. Some of these WBC teams have been playing against teams. Uh, so the Cardinals will have Dakota Hudson on the mound, and then they really get into the uh, final couple weeks of spring training as we are oh so close to open opening day, which is going to be coming up later on this month on March 30th. We will take one more break, and when we return, I'll be uh, rejoined by uh, Mike Claiborne as uh, we'll wrap up this edition of Countdown to Opening Day. That's coming up next. We're back with you in just a moment, broadcasting from Jupiter, Florida, here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. Starting to wrap up this edition of Amron Countdown to Opening Day. We are on the Cardinals Radio Network. We've been talking about counting down to opening day for the last few months, but we really are getting close. My name is Matt Pauley, Mike Claiborne here in Claibs. We heard uh, Oliver Marmel speak earlier in the week. He made the comment that if they had to break camp and play a game right now, he would feel confident in this group's ability to do so. You don't always hear that when there's two, three weeks left of camp. And you don't normally hear that when a bulk of your roster is playing in the WBC. But I, I really feel like he talked about how they accelerated the meetings and had more conversations earlier in camp compared to spreading it out in hopes of making sure they were able to reach enough players. You have enough veterans on this team who understand what it takes. You have a good mix of young players who have big league experience. So I can understand why he feels comfortable with this team in, in its direction. There was a lot of talk uh, before the WBC guys left that it was important to stress culture uh, before you know, before the Goldschmidts, before the Arnados, before the Wainwrights left, that the cardinal way, the cardinal culture, the way things that the, the way they want to do things gets pushed to young players very hard while those guys were around. I haven't seen anything that would say there's any young player that doesn't completely understand the way you're supposed to act. There is no slacking. Yeah, that's a great observation on your part. You go on the backfields or go on these fields, and you see every drill run with the extreme effort. I mean, nobody's halfing it anywhere. Nobody's jaking it. And I think it starts at the top and how guys like Goldschmidt and Arnado run out everything. And you're starting to see the Tommy Edmonds and some of the younger players starting to do the same thing. 
so it becomes contagious, and that's a good sign. And that's why I think Ali felt the way he did about how he thinks his team is going to be ready earlier than later. As a player, you don't have a choice because if you're the one guy not doing that, you are going to stick out. You stand out like a sore thumb. There's no doubt about that. And the one neat thing about the Cardinals, they make you accountable. They'll give it to you on the field, in the clubhouse, and there's a guy who thinks you're not putting the effort in. They'll pull you off to the side and say, hey, we know you're better than that. Let's, let's, let's try and turn it up a notch. And that's the great thing about the tradition that the team has. They don't let guys steal bases unless you're Brock or Coleman or somebody like that. We're a couple weeks with the new rules. What, what's jumped out at you? The clock uh, and the impact it's having not only on the hitters but certainly the pitchers in just their routine. We saw a situation against Washington where Alex, Col- Alex Colome came in from the bullpen, and by the time he was on the mound to warm up, he only had like 40 seconds. There's going to come a point where maybe me bring back the golf cart to usher players in sooner than later. And I think if you're a bullpen guy, either you're going to allot them more time to get in the ball game, or you're going to have to usher them in via a golf cart of some sort. I think that's one thing that stands out, along with the timing of a guy's routine and trying to expedite things and also be able to throw a strike. From a hitting standpoint, guys who are used to digging in, we're seeing guys who keep their head down because when they look up, then they're engaged. And at that point, here we go. So those are the little things I'm seeing. I haven't seen much of an impact as far as the size of the bases or the stolen bases. We've seen a few more back picks being thrown by the Cardinal catchers. But overall, I think it's been, I think it's been good for the game. To me, the thing that's impacting the game the most, and I'm actually talking about in between the lines, so obviously you, you feel the pitch clock, but the thing that's impacting, say, the box score is the lack of the overshift because we are seeing a lot more balls get through, and baseball's been missing the rally, the hit-after-hit rally, and that's the most exciting thing you can see in baseball, and I think we're going to get closer to that. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, the rallies and we're going to see a lot of base hits up the middle uh, because of the shift. And that's going to be fun for fans. And I'll give you a good example. We had a game the other day, Monday, where it was two hours and, what, 18 minutes. We had six walks in one inning. We had guys going up the middle with base hits for the Cardinals, and it was still a two-hour and 18-minute game. So for those naysayers who think those things are going to drag the game down, I think after that game on Monday, I would say you're sadly mistaken. We keep um, new stuff pops up, and, and you see the ramifications and the implications of rules. Something that was brought up with Oliver Marmel earlier in the week was the fact that catchers really, there's, they have to call a good game, and they have to be in sync with pitchers because you don't have the time for a pitcher to shake off a catcher multiple times. And I think that's good. I think the guys overthink situations sometimes too much. When all you have to do is tow it and throw it, I think that really gives you an advantage because you still have to focus and you don't have time to overthink situations because I see a lot of guys in the past that belabor the situation to the point where they lose focus, all of a sudden they lose control, and all of a sudden they lose the inning. I don't think we're going to see as much of that. Can Jordan Walker do any more than what he's already doing? Oh, I'm sure that they're going to continue to push that envelope, but so far so good. I'm anxious to see what he does next week when teams start to bear down, formulate a little bit more of a game plan because they've seen him a little bit, and see what he does with the two-strike count when they start throwing breaking balls instead of fastballs. A lot of people talk about the the Albert Pujols here where he made it. Generally, I would say 
don't put that pressure on this this guy. But I, you just talk to him. I know we've talked about this before, but he continues to amaze me in just the head that he has on his shoulders. I don't think pressure is something he deals with. I think he shows up. I think he's been in an environment enough where he knows that the spotlight's on him and he has no problem embracing it. And I, I would say because of social media and all the things we deal with in society today, I think guys like him are better prepared for an opportunity like this. So I don't think that's going to be an issue. That doesn't mean he won't have a, a, a mini slump or they're getting him out with consistency for a game or two. That's just part of what baseball is all about. But I bet he lessens those opportunities to be bad than he does compared to being good. So in on this side of things, in the Grapefruit League, there are games that you play as they've played the last couple days when they've played the Yankees and the Tigers where you got to go across the state. If you're in the Cactus League, everything is within a half hour or so of each other. There's never these long trips. Do you think for any reason that there is something to be gained from going across the state and playing these games? Yes, there is. I think there's a bonding opportunity. I think the fact that being on the road in a small environment like this, I think it's a plus for a team that has so many young players. You have enough veterans on the team to show guys how it works as well. So I think there's a plus to it. It's uh, and guy, the veteran guys who don't want to go, they really don't have to go more often than not. No, no, the veteran guys don't go. They'll stay here and get some work in, some extra work in the cages, throw on the side, things of that nature. Uh, but, you know, it's an indoctrination. It's not a hazing thing, but it's just a tradition that the young guys do the road trips, and that's how it is. The veterans have earned that right to stay back spend time with their families and do things along that line and kind of take a break from the everyday rigor of spring training and playing games. I think it's a good situation for them. Last thing for you, we, we talk about the, the boxes that you want to see checked off before spring training comes to an end. A couple weeks to go. What are those boxes for you that you still want to see checked off? I still want to see what the competition in the outfield looks like. I want to see what the competition for the backup catcher looks like. And man, oh man, that bullpen. It's just going to be a very interesting dilemma to have with all these good young arms that we're seeing and some of the veterans. There's going to be a good pitcher that's going to find himself either hurt in Memphis or on another team at some point because there won't be enough room. And as I say that, Matt, I guarantee you by June or July, I'll be saying, Matt, we got to find some pitches somewhere, man. That's Mike Claiborne. I'm Matt Pauly. Klebs, thanks as always. I will talk to you again next week. Looking forward to it, sir. Safe travels. All right, very good. We uh, That's going to do it for uh, this edition of Ameren Countdown to Opening Day. Thanks to you for being tuned in. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us. We'll talk to you next week as we get closer and closer to Opening Day on the Cardinals Radio Network.